Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. There was a time early on in my marriage um, where I was trying to help my wife through a difficult situation. It was a tough, tough thing going on there, and um, she was struggling through something, and I was doing my best to help apply scripture to the situation, and I wanted to help her see the situation through that lens of scripture. I was trying my best to, to work through that, to talk through that. I, I listened to her struggle and what the struggle was. I, we discussed it. We kind of looked at different scenarios. And if we did this, if she did this, how would that look like? What are the things that we could do? What are the different outcomes that might happen, uh, if that happened, you know, whatever that looked like. And I told her what I think I would do and what I thought that she should do. And she opened up to me about how she was processing this, how she's, how she's thinking about it, thinking about the different situations or the situation. And I tried to ask some probing questions to really get at the foundation on what was really going on inside of her. I really wanted to help her. Um, I didn't like seeing her unhappy and hurting. The, the longer our conversation went on, the more I realized how different we were seeing things. We were seeing, it was the same situation, but it was becoming more and more evident to me that we were seeing things differently. That in and of itself is not all that earth-shattering, I, I totally get, and, and in the moment there, I, I totally got that we are two different people, so we think different, we act different, we have different upbringings, um, different um, experiences. Um, there were a lot of similarities uh, in our upbringing, a lot of similarities in our socioeconomic status, our religion, our beliefs, but, but we think differently. We struggle differently. We are we're different people. But what struck me in particular in this conversation was that the sins that were what I like to say like her go-to sins, the, the sins that she was a little more um, sensitive towards or the idols she was drawn to, I wasn't drawn to those things. I, it wasn't necessarily something that I struggled with in the same way she struggled with. Now, I it's not that I don't struggle with that sin, like I'm immune to the sin. I, I'm not saying that. It just is one of those that, for her, it could be overwhelming and sometimes life-dominating. For me, I would experience it, and it wasn't that way. Um, I have my own particular sins in that same thing where I struggle, and they're a little more difficult to, to deal with. But, but I could see into the situation, and I could see a resolution that I thought was attainable. It wasn't real difficult. And it was through her heart that she wasn't seeing such a cut and dry, easy answer. And that's when I knew that the differences between us were not as obvious and would add complications to our marriage for years to come. Trying to understand each other was going to be something that we were going to have to put work into because we struggle differently. Pastor Brad starts out this chapter with a few questions. He says, why do you sin the way that you sin? Why do you get hung up where you get hung up? 
And why is it so hard to stop even when God, by his Holy Spirit, convicts you? No matter the effort you put forth, why do you find yourself going back to the same sin again and again? When we live for an idol, we are living on substitutes. We've said that a number of times. It is something other than God. We are committing spiritual adultery, pursuing a suitor instead of the one we are betrothed to as the bride of Christ. When we worship our idols in our everyday lives, we exchange the glory of God, his majesty, his power, his goodness, all that he does in our lives We exchange those things for something lesser. We exchange God for our boyfriend or our girlfriend, our spouse, our job, athletic achievement, our children's athletic achievement, financial stability. We exchange the goodness of God for our health, for ease, safety, the government, or even just an idea. Like John Calvin said, the the human heart is an idol factory. And our idolatry shows up in a million different ways, in a million different places in our lives. Last week we saw that our heart is susceptible to idols because our hearts are the processor of our lives. It's the central processing unit of our lives. It's where we process and sort through everything that we do and we become. Remember that circle from last week? It's like from the Lion King, it's the circle of life, right? We've got our circumstances, the stimuli, which we think about. We process that. In our heart, there is something that we think about how life is happening in us and around us and to us, beside us. We think about that. And that leads to emotions, how we feel about it, the the ways that we respond to it. And out of those emotions, that thinking, those emotions, then there's action. We do something about it. And it goes around and around and it keeps going, right? The thinking, the emotions, the actions, and it just keeps happening. And it happens. And the more that this happens and the more that we're in this circle going and going, that becomes our character, the more we think in that same circle, in that same circle, in the same way, it becomes who we are, how we're known, the way that we live. And there are people that are on, somewhere on this merry-go-round, and they want to get off. They want off this thing. They want change to happen, but they don't know where to begin. They just know they don't like it. Now, remember... I talked about like our life as a tree and there is fruit, right? There is fruit of our life. Um, So in that circle, there is this fruit of our life. It's things like anxiety, fear, worry, envy, lusting, lying, apathy, arguing, impatience, laziness, indulgence, conflict, chaos, anger, bitterness, There's a lack of control, whether we have lack of self-control or there's no control, we don't have control over the things around us, arrogance, depression, foolishness, greed, discontent. These are the fruit of our lives. 
We see this at some point, not, not all this necessarily, right? But these are things that we experience in our life. We are not at peace and we want peace. We don't want hard things in our life. We don't want life to be hard. And so too often what we do is we go after the fruit that comes from living our lives this way and they don't know how to make lasting change. So we end up kind of moving things around What we do is we don't get at the root of the problem. We try to sit, we try to change our situation by avoiding problem people. This is a person who's a problem in my life. If I just get away from them, I don't like being, I don't like how I'm being treated. So I just end the friendship. Stop returning calls. Don't go back to them. Our spouse hurts us. So we give them the cold shoulder for a few days. Or we blow up like Mount Vesuvius and we get so loud that they can't respond and we talk over them. Maybe we don't know what to do, so we try and replace those thoughts with busy work. We go read a book, we work on our hobby, we run every errand that we can think of just to avoid circumstances or to put thoughts at bay. Or we try to control every aspect of our lives or someone else's life. If I can get control over everything, then I know what's going to happen and I know how to make it go the way I want it to go. So we start doing our coworkers' job for them because if we can be in the driver's seat, there's no way that they can mess it up and make our life hard. You see, we try and change our circumstances, which are the circumstances God sovereignly has brought into our lives We try to change our circumstances in hope of finding relief. But it's not the circumstances, this life going on around us or to us, that is the issue. It's what's going on in our hearts, the root of the problem. Let me give you an example of how we can see this. You probably remember this. I had jaw surgery, and so before jaw surgery, I had to wear braces had the surgery and had braces, and so they told me I'd be in braces for like six months. I think it ended up being like two and a half years. So 40 years old with braces for two and a half years is not something that I really wanted, right? And so when you're in braces for two and a half years, you visit the orthodontist a lot. You're going in there, and so um, I would go in to wait in the waiting room and, you know, everyone assumes I'm a parent of one of the 11 or 12-year-olds and then you smile and they're like, oh no, you're here too for the uh, braces. Like, okay, so I, um, and you know, like when you go to uh, the doctor's office or the dentist's office, they make your appointment for 8.30 and it's going to be 9.15 before they take you back. So I'm like, I'll get it. I'm going to get the first appointment of the day, and then I don't have to wait. So I go to the 7.45, I think, was the appointment. And by 8.15, they hadn't brought me back yet. And I was like, this is the first appointment of the day? Well, like, what? Now, how can they have gotten behind already when no one has even been here, right? So I uh, go, and I, I keep at, you know, I've, I got to get to work. You know, what's, what's happening? I'm sorry, we're running a little bit behind. I'm like, how's that possible? I don't know, you know. So I'm like, keep, like... Are you going to come back yet? There's this girl next to me. I think she's like 14 or 15. I don't know. She's got 
all of her homework laid out. She's working on her, her homework, and, you know, I can see her doing whatever she was doing, you know, and I make a comment like, hey, trying to, trying to cram before school in, and she goes, no, I'm, I'm so excited. Like, I had, something had gone on in her life she, last night, so she wasn't able to do her homework, and so she's like, all this time, I, I'm going to be able to finish this before school, and I, I don't have to be rushed, and so I'm looking at that going, I'm like out of my mind, like hurry up, I want to get back there and get over. And she is so happy that she's got a little bit extra time to do work. Now, we both are in the same circumstances, right? We both had appointments at the same time. We're both delayed by 45 minutes. I'm going out of my mind upset and she's happy as a lark. Same circumstances. I could have changed the circumstances Maybe that would have been different. I got back early and now she's upset she can't get her work done before school. It's not that the circumstances were the problem. The problem was how I was interpreting and living out those circumstances, how I'm responding to those circumstances and how she was as well. See, when we're upset and we're hurting, we try all kinds of ways to change the circumstances instead of addressing our heart And when we do that, when we try and change and address circumstances without dealing with the root of the problem, what ends up happening is we go to bed and we can't sleep because we can't run away from our thoughts. Or we can't eat and our stomach hurts all the time because that's all we're thinking about of how this is a problem. Or we can't find anyone to be friends with anymore because of how we treat them. Or we try to protect ourselves so we avoid people. Or there's all kinds of other hosts of issues that happen when we try and address all the fruit instead of the root of the problem. We've been trying to adjust or change behavior, but not dealing with the real problem. Now, one thing to mention, if you're thinking about this and going, well, there is some behavior out there that needs to end, like a That's true. If you're injuring yourself or others, if you're doing something illegal or it could be illegal or uh, dangerous, yeah, that needs to end, right? We need to end that. We need to start there, stop that. But once that behavior is controlled, we've got to get at the answer, right? Just stopping behavior without work at the root will only bring things back bigger, uglier, and, and worse. God's answer is always the same, that we start at the heart, When we discussed our heart being our control center last week, I said there was another reason that we are susceptible to idols in our heart. It says in this chapter that your heart is the compass that points to where you run when you're under pressure. When the pressure comes, you're going to go somewhere. So the heart is kind of like that compass that points to that's that's where you run to. It would be so easy It would be so easy if we all responded to pressure the same way. So there's this type of pressure. Everyone goes this direction. Okay, now let's, I'll give you the, what you need to do to to do that. But, but we don't, right? God's made us in his great wisdom. He's made us all very different. People are complex, right? We, it's kind of that, that beauty of, of the spectrum of people, of how we think and act and, and how we are. Right? And so that is great, 
but it creates some issues on, all right, then what do I do? Well, God's word is very clear on some of these things, very helpful in that. Our heart exposes these things about us. When you look at your heart, it exposes where you are pointing to. So this compass is pointing, where do I look for relief? Where do I look for help? Take 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. It seems a bit non sequitur to be discussing, discussing our temptations and then to say, flee idolatry. But Paul understands that when we are feeling the weight and the pressure of life, we are always looking for an outlet. We're looking for pressure relief, right? We need a pressure relief valve. Where is it? When we feel stuck, when we feel overwhelmed, where is the relief? When, when life isn't going like what we want, when we aren't getting what we want, when life is no fun and hard, we want to go to a refuge. We want this relief. So Paul here is telling us to be on guard. When we aren't on guard, then we run to something earthly. We very quickly will run to medication to solve our fear and anxiety without looking to why we have this fear and anxiety in the first place. We go to our spouse and demand they meet our needs. We run to our jobs and throw ourselves into that like crazy because we're there every day anyway, so spend more time there. We run to pornography to find escape. We run to entertainment, to video games, TV shows. We try and lose ourselves there. We run to food to give us something that we think we aren't getting. We turn to earthly things very easily because it's easy because they come to us quickly, and really, it's because they're visible. We can see them, right? You can see your spouse. They're in the same house. The pressure level's turned up, so we reach out, and we cling to her, and we demand more from her, or our job when we're there every day. So just pour ourselves into it, and that's the danger for us. When the pressure level's turned up, if we're not careful, we look for that pressure release and what we do is we end up worshiping earthly idols, some counterfeit. It's rather than the true living God, that spiritual adultery. God wants us to run to him, to cling to him. David Paulison says, the occasions of a lust are never its cause. Temptations and sufferings do push our buttons but they don't create those buttons. He's saying that when we're lusting after something, wanting something sinful, or wanting something in a sinful way, we tend to blame something outside of us for that lust. We tend to blame our circumstances, or other people, or our parents, or our upbringing, whatever, you name it, we blame something else. Either you've said it or you've heard it said, oh, they really push my buttons. They really know how to push my buttons. If you have a two-year-old, you've probably said that, you know? Or, an, or a teenager, right? A kid, maybe let's just say kids. 
as the pressure comes and stuff is happening around you, you find yourself turning to certain things. And if you're not careful, you think that the pressure created those things. But that button was already there. The pressure just revealed that you have that button. James 1.14 says this, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, the buttons are already there in your heart. And who put them there? Go ahead and raise your hand, said I did, because you did. You did that. When the trial and the pressure and the suffering comes, there's a button that's pushed. And those buttons, they are not innate in us. They are put there, and we put them there in our own hearts. It's our job to work to remove those buttons. Early on in this class, I warned you that as we get into this nitty-gritty of our idols, it would mean that we're in this battle. And this is part of that battle. To recognize your idols, to work to remove them, and to then direct, guide, and point your heart back toward God and his truth. Living in ignorance of your idols is the primary reason that you continue to struggle with particular issues and sins in your life. You talk with people and they say, yeah, this is, this is who I am. I, I, I can point it back to when I was a kid. Like, I remember this from there. And it's like, okay, well then let's redirect that. We want to blame it on something else when really it's something that was there. We've got to help redirect it. I used to fly... Uh, airplanes for a charter company here in Evansville. Companies and individuals would uh, hire us to fly an airplane, fly them in the airplane and, and to go do their business or vacation to appointments and things like that. And it was a fun job because when I was doing that, I uh, would get to fly different people all over, the, all over different places. Every day was a little bit different. Yeah, I, people used to ask me like, hey, are there any famous people that you flew? And I'd say, well, we live in Evansville, so I didn't have the occasion too often to fly too many super famous people. Yeah, I flew the mayor, some business area, people in the area. I did get to fly Lou Brock, if you know uh, the Cardinals. Uh, he was a Hall of Famer outfielder. Um, I flew Tom Crean, who, when he was the coach of IU, flew him a few times. Chelsea Clinton, so... That's it. That's it. That's my list. That's all I got. So not all that exciting. But there were all these, a lot of different people, uh, excuse me, there were a lot of different planes that I flew for charter. So um, we had, I think, like 10 different types of airplanes that I flew. So each time I'd get an airplane, I have to kind of remember, okay, what, what's everything do? You know, where, where are the buttons, switches, that sort of thing, right? Uh, I had to be trained and certified in each one of these things. And um, airplanes, they don't have steering wheels, they have what's called a yoke, right? And you've probably seen that, right? Um, and the, uh, on the yoke uh, has all these, depending on the airplane, but a lot of them have these different buttons and things because when you're flying the airplane, you want to keep your hands on the controls as, as much as you can so the more important things are right there so you don't have to remove your hands off the controls. Uh, cars are starting to do that, actually, a long time. They've been doing this for a while for the same reasons, right? You can control so many things just from there so you're not reaching off and touching a lot of stuff. So I remember on one of the airplanes I flew, there was this button on the yoke. It's just off to the right. Um, it was labeled with these three different letters. I can't remember right now what those letters were. Um, and what I didn't know was what this button did, right? 
So uh, I'd flown this, time, this airplane many different times, never had the occasion to ever need to use this button. So I wasn't too concerned about it, but had a co-pilot with me one time who had worked for the company longer than me and I said, hey, what's that button do? I don't know. I'm like, well, that's weird. All right. So I fly with the chief pilot. We're taking a, some, a test to make sure I'm still safe and I can fly the airplane and ask him what, he did, what this button does. And <laughs> I chuckle every time I think of it. He's like, I don't know what it does, but don't push it. I was like, okay. I did push it one day, and it did nothing. So just so you know, I couldn't, I couldn't like not push it, right? It was a test, right? But buttons in our life can be like that, right? Only instead of a mislabeled button, we don't see the button. You aren't aware that the button is there until you push it. Right? Or it gets pushed until it gets pushed. You don't push the button, someone else pushes the button or something. And then you react. This pressure, this pressure builds up, a button gets pushed, pop. The button's there all the time. The idols are there. God in his mercy is doing what God does well. He wants to reveal your idols. And so to bring them to light and to expose them, he brings pressure in our life. He wants you to repent of those idols and to get free of them. At the end of last week's lesson, I had this image, right? We had the heart and these arrows, which are uh, simulating the pressure that we feel on our life. And if we're feeling pressure in our life, essentially it's on our heart, right? Because we live out of our hearts. So we're feeling this pressure here. And I I mentioned uh, a few of these things. One of those things that is pressure being placed on our heart is Satan and all the forces that go along with him. You know, some people give Satan too much credit credit for the problems in our lives and others don't give him enough. When we talk about problems here at FBC, uh, we spend a significant amount of time talking about our flesh and our choices and our thinking, right? And we can be accused of ignoring Satan at times because we don't talk about him uh, like that. Um, We are keenly aware of 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. And in Luke 22.31, Jesus is ta- talking to Peter. He says, Peter, Peter, or excuse me, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan is asking for Peter by name. You know, when wheat is sifted, it's, uh, they put it in like a shaker thing and they shake it really violently, shake it real hard, and that's to separate the chaff and the wheat, right? So if I, if I understand it right, the, the chaff falls through, the wheat stays in the, in the thing so that they can separate the, the two. So, but that's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to shake us violently. And we've all been there, Right? Life feels like we've been thrown into a clothes dryer and we can't figure out which way is up or down and we hurt and we want out. So just remember that when you're looking into your own heart, wanting to understand why you do what you do, you have a real enemy that's working to keep you confused and hurting. When you're at odds with your spouse or your teenager or your boss, all of you are living and acting out of your hearts There's also a spiritual enemy who's doing all he can to shake you to pieces. There's one of the things that puts pressure on us. Another one is our suffering. And we have suffering 
because we live in a broken world. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And how often do we suffer and go, this is weird. Why is this happening? I shouldn't be experiencing this. 1 Peter 4.12 tells us that you shouldn't be thinking that something strange is happening. It's going to happen. Jesus says in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We are Christians, so we have help when we face the tribulations, but we will face tribulations. One day we won't, praise God, but until then we should cling to Christ. Our sin keeps tripping us up. Our own sin. We get caught up in this tangled web of our own sin. I get this picture in my mind. I'm sure I've seen like one of these old movies or something that probably why I get this picture of like um, a fishing net. The guy's trying to untangle the fishing net. And the more he tries to untangle it, the more he's getting wrapped up in it himself. And he can't, you know, it's under their head. And they can't get out of it. They can't get untangled. They're, they're getting more and more into it rather than trying to get, uh, get out of it. That's why Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says to lay aside your sin, to watch out, be alert. Also, in Hebrews, is the reminder that we should be helping one another, even as we are looking to our own hearts. Hebrews 3, we're to exhort one another so that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We aren't this army of one. We need each other. We need to help each other, and we need to help from others. Other pressure that we feel is sinful people. Other people keep sinning against you. You live with a sinner spouse, trying to raise sinning children, working for a sinner boss, living next to sinner neighbors, coming on Sunday, sitting next to a bunch of sinners. You're all a bunch of sinners. Praise God. We have to remember that. We tend to forget and we get surprised when someone hurts us. We get surprised when someone sins against us. And that shows us right there, when we are surprised when someone would sin against us, that we're putting trust in that person too much to begin with. Not saying that you shouldn't trust others. We should. We should have trust. But how are we in, what are we investing in? Where's our hope? What are we clinging to? You know, one of the ways that this can happen, I've had the great opportunity to be able to counsel married people in our church for a number of years. And uh, we've had people come in with their problems and their struggles and the issues. And um, oftentimes, both people come in recognizing we both have problems and we just don't know what we can do. Other times, one person says, they're the problem. And no, they're the problem. And we're doing this. And we got to work through that. That's, that's fine. That is fine. They come in with this and we're going to walk through as God's word, you know, take, open up God's word. We're going to walk together through this and we're going to see how we can 
come out on the other side here. God says that he wants us to change and grow. There's hope that he does work in us to change us and grow us. We've seen it. As you walk through with these people, idols are identified. And through God's grace and hard work, they start to see change in their marriage. This marriage becomes a joy again. And there's peace. And and they're excited. And this, when that starts to happen, is usually where I offer out a warning hey, this is so great, everyone's happy, I'm so glad to see, now we're, we're touching again, I arm around each other, holding hands, and like, praise God, I'm so happy to see that, but I need to warn you, um, and this can come to a shock to some people, but when that change happens, there's then that temptation to trust in the spouse rather than God, right? When the marriage is on the rocks, these folks are crying out to God for help. There's nowhere else to go. But now that things are good, our trust can slowly shift to the spouse. Now, when the husband starts to show a remnant of his former way of sinning, the wife is surprised. And that's that idolatry slipping in, right? We have to be careful and put those thoughts in their proper place. We don't want to start thinking that now that things are good, that I'm trusting in you to keep being that way because you may shift back into your old ways, habits as well. Other pressure that we see is sickness, physical sickness, disease. It takes its toll. Cancer or disease never comes at an opportune time. When is an opportune time to get sick or to have some terrible disease? There isn't. We're never expecting it. We never want it. It takes away our vitality and our health that we enjoy. It's painful, and it stretches our trust in God. As we age, our bodies don't feel and act like they used to. We can't see like we once did. We wake up with pain in areas we've never experienced before. Maybe like me, I've got teenage boys, and I go play sports in the backyard, and you know, sports that I used to excel at, and now I can't throw or run or do the things like I used to do. When I'm done, I'm winded. I'm hurting. I never used to be like that. I'm starting to act like my dad when I was a kid and wanted to play with him. And I'm like, come on, what's happening? It's frustrating. I get discouraged. I'm confused. I try and do too much. I get depressed. And if I do that, if we do that, what we end up doing is we run to a false refuge. We fall into this idea that I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to feel this way. I don't deserve this. We tell ourselves we deserve a break. I deserve a mental health day. I, I don't deserve to be in pain. And that's searching for something that God never promises. Another pressure, just outside pressure, just your general run-of-the-mill, the catch-all category of pressures. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. And a few chapters before that, in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely 
not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God uses pressure to reveal where we are relying on ourselves. God uses pressure. We don't want pressure. We don't like pressure. But God uses it. He wants it to make us more like his son. When we face all kinds of pressures, we want to think God's not doing his job. When we face pain, we want God to take the pain away. Why isn't he helping me? Why is my wife still treating me the way she does? Or my husband? Or why am I not getting the um, salary increase or the promotion that I deserve? That's not God's job. God's job is to bring himself glory. And one of the ways he brings himself glory is to mold us, shape us, to look more like his son. And the tools God has chosen to do that is pressure in our lives. He brings that so that we would live for him. When the pressure is on, don't go for the easy way out. And that's really hard to do because the easy way out is what comes first. It comes first to our mind. It's the thing that we really don't have to put much thought into, right? Because that's what we've already been doing. But going, taking the easy way out doesn't end up being easy. It's also not an out either. We can live with these pressures and glorify God and not be in pain. Just like my example of the going to the orthodontist, if I had changed my outlook on that, I could have been happy for whatever reason, right? I've got the girl here, she's happy, I'm not. That was, those were choices I was making and the way I was thinking about it. And that's, uh, those are the challenges that we face. So when you face pressure, when you look at all those different pressures, think of this. We live out of our hearts when chaos happens, when struggles happen, when you get surprised by the way someone just spoke to you or the thing that they just said, and inside you, your mind starts racing. Take a moment. Say, now my heart is pointing at where I'm looking for refuge. It's something other than God. What is it? How do I address it? When uh, early on I gave you the handouts, I think it was in the first two or three uh, sessions, there were some questions to help identify idols. Um, and go to that handout. Use those things. Kind of think through where is it that you, I go? Where, what are my tendencies? And that will help in that moment. <laughs>